It was a clear, sunny Tuesday morning, and the events of that day would change the world forever. If you were alive, you remember it. If you were not yet alive, you have heard of it. It was 8.45 a.m. when American Airlines Flight 11 was flown into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in Manhattan. At 9.03 a.m., with the eyes of the whole world already on the burning North Tower, a second plane veered toward Lower Manhattan and flew straight into the South Tower. Do you remember where you were when you heard this on September 11, 2001? See, the whole world changed that day almost 20 years ago, and it remains changed. One act in history can have a profound impact on our lives. Now shift the scene with me, if you will, to an oddly dark Friday afternoon where no one knew that the events of the day would change the world forever. A criminal named Jesus son of Joseph from Nazareth, had been tried and convicted and beaten and scourged and crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. And around noon, the sun's light failed that day and darkness settled over the land. And it stayed dark in the middle of the day for about three hours. Luke chapter 23 verse 44 says it was now the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The criminal Jesus called out to his heavenly father, and just as he had trusted him with his entire life, he now trusted his father even in his death, and he breathed his last. He was then taken down from the cross, and one of his disciples buried him in his own tomb, and there he laid. And the sun went down on Friday night, and darkness settled in with Jesus in the tomb. And the sun rose on Saturday morning, the Jewish Sabbath, and the disciples of Jesus obediently rested in the midst of all of their confusion about what had happened. And then the sun set that evening and darkness settled in once again. And then came the morning. And no one knew that the events of that day would change the world forever. The sun broke through the darkness and once the sun had risen, some of the women who followed Jesus went to his tomb. It says in Mark chapter 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they We're saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. 
On a clear, sunny Sunday morning, the whole world changed. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. On one monumentally ordinary day in Jerusalem, we have news that has reverberated throughout the timeline of history and through every generation until this present moment today. The life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus shook the foundations of the world and the effects of it all still echo in our lives 2,000 years later. At Christ City, we like to say this story demands a response. How do we respond to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What do we do now? Well, for those of us who follow Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus gives us an entirely new way to think and live. We're all trying to walk in the light that has shone in our lives from that very first Easter Sunday. We're walking in the light of the cross. We're walking in the light of the empty tomb. We're trying to live our lives faithful to the message that we have received and what it says about who we are. We're walking in the shining light of the first Resurrection Sunday. See, coming to the knowledge of God is simultaneously a really disorienting uh, experience and at the same time a radically orienting experience. It's radically disorienting because it's brand new. It's an entirely new way of understanding our human existence. But it's radically orienting because it's true. It gives us a new center. It gives us a new target. It gives us a new direction in life. And Paul the Apostle understood this. And he wrote a letter to his friends in the church in Colossae to help them understand the radically disorienting and radically orienting truth of the gospel of Jesus. He's writing to them and he, and he says to them that they need to remember who they are now in Christ. He's writing to remind them that they have been made new. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This, this record of debt, the record of our indebtedness. It says he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What's he talking about here? In the, in the world of finance, the record of debt was a certificate of debt signed in the debtor's own hand. I owe you this much. This here is talking about our debt to God. This is talking about the high standard of the commands of God and the record of debt we owe with its legal demands. It, it, it's a record of how we have failed to live up to the commands of God. It is an accumulated tally of all of our trespasses against God. All of the things that we ought not to have done that we have done and all of the things that we ought to have done that we have not done. And what did Jesus do with our personal record of debt? 
says he canceled it. He set it aside. He blotted it out. He wiped it away. It's the idea that the debt that we once owed God because of our sin, that it has been completely erased and forgiven. And you say, how? (laughs) We all know this. We know that debts need to be paid. See, there has only ever been one person who has perfectly lived up to the commands of God, who has been perfectly obedient. And that one man who perfectly obeyed the commands of God, he says, if you are willing, I will take your broken record of failing God. I will take your record of debt. I'll take your accumulated tally of all of your trespasses and I will exchange it with you for my perfect record. You give me your sin and I will give you my righteousness. Jesus says he will take his perfection and he will use it to wipe out your debt in your place. He will pay it. You are so deeply loved by the infinite God of the universe that he has made a way for you to approach him and enter into real abiding relationship with him. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he bore the weight of the punishment of my sin in my place. When the... Shoot. The triumph of the cross is that God canceled the entire debt of our sin. All the things that we ought to have done that we did not do and all of the things that we ought not to have done that we did do, canceled blotted out, wiped away once and for all. Debt cleared. No outstanding charges. And listen to this. Paul's point in this text in Colossians 2 is that we now live as the people of the resurrection. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but now together have been made alive in Christ. And when we first come to Christ, when we repent of our sin, we turn away from the way that we have lived. We turn to Jesus. We ask him to lead us, to help us to live out of who we are now as his resurrection people. See, receiving the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves, receiving the gospel as the orienting truth of your life means that you mark a distinction between the then and the now. Because then, before this, we were dead in our sin and trespasses. But now, God has made us alive together with Christ. He has forgiven our sin. He has done away with it through the work of Jesus in our place. And now look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says we've died and we have been raised with Christ. He says that we are hidden in Christ and that when Christ appears, we also will appear with him in glory. This is a comprehensive view of the Christian life. 
It deals with our past before we were in Christ. It tells us how we got here and that if we have received Christ, that we have been raised with him into new eternal life and that our lives are presently hidden with him. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We're kept safe. We're held close. We're his treasure. And it tells us that one future day when Christ the risen Lord appears, that we will stand with him forever. Okay, we know who we were and we know who we are and we know who we one day will be. And how do we live that out of every single moment now as we wait? How, how do we do this? Look at the text again, verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. If we know who we were and we know who we are and we know who we will be, he says the way to live that out is to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set our minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? Like, like what are these things above that we're supposed to set our minds upon? Well, I, I don't think we're supposed to mentally map out the heavenly landscape like some sort of geographical exercise. No, no. What we do, uh, we, we, we don't set our, our minds on heavenly geography. We, we set our minds on the one who dwells there. We fix our gaze upon him. I'm going to do that again. Well, I don't think we're supposed to mentally map out the heavenly landscape like some sort of geographical exercise. No, we don't set our minds on a heavenly geography. No, we set our minds on the one who dwells there. We fix our gaze upon him. Christ City, hear me. We live out the true nature of who we are in Christ when we seek the Christ who defines our true nature. We live out the true nature of who we are in Christ when we seek the Christ who defines our true nature. We've got maybe 80, 90, maybe 100 years here. You're not even guaranteed the sunset this evening. What are you going to do with those years? What are you going to seek? James chapter 4 verse 14 says, You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Christ City, what are you going to do with your mist? What we set our minds on really matters. What we set our minds on determines what or who we seek. And what or who we seek determines the direction of our lives. There could be nothing more important for you to consider right now than this truth. Living with the knowledge that your life is a vaporous mist is different than just living. You've got to hold on to what endures. You need to live for what matters. You need to set your mind on the one who transcends all of this stuff. Verse 2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That means set your minds on the eternal realities of what it means to be human, not just your temporal comforts. 
if you're a follower of Jesus, 200,000 years from now, you'll be with him. You're not going to care about the outfit you put together for Easter Sunday 2021 because I know you're all dressed up sitting at home watching this. You're going to die one day and you're not going to be concerned with how many square feet your house was or how much you had in your bank account. Now, I can appreciate that you wore clothes today and I know that you need somewhere to live and it's nice to have a little bit of cash to live with. Don't misunderstand me that I think those things are unimportant. I'm saying they're not the things that you need to set your mind upon. You're going to die one day and stand before God Almighty. And you're busy thinking about stuff that won't matter in two months, let alone in 200,000 years. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We have to get over ourselves and our desire for creature comforts. Our temporal comfort needs to be something we set aside for the better truth of seeking things that are above. You need to recognize who you are in Christ. And and like I'm telling you, just as Paul told the Colossians, that truth of setting your mind on things that are above will transform your life. Okay, here's the pushback that I can hear some of you saying right now. And the last thing we need are more Christians who are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I get it. I'll let my friend Clive Staples Lewis answer that one for me. C.S. Lewis said, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. See, the text says, if you have been raised with Christ, if you believe in the power of the resurrection and you believe in Jesus, then seek the things above. Because that's where Jesus is. If Jesus was only concerned with cashmere sweaters and the comfort of his temporal life, he would never have done what he did to save you. Therefore, set your minds on eternal things, not on all of this stuff here and now. Prepare yourself for the reality that you will one day die And now, beginning in this moment, set your things, set your heart on the the future, the things that are above, the future promised to you by God, not the comfort of your retirement fund or what you own and possess. I'm telling you there's a better way to live. Easter Sunday tells us there's a better way to live. What ends up happening is that 
every little detail of our life becomes different. When we live in light of the first Easter Sunday, everything changes. It's as though everything becomes infused with God, where we begin to see things differently in our everyday lives. Some of you have been living like this for years, and praise God, it's fantastic. Some of you have never thought about anything beyond the here and now, but what I want you to hear today is that the resurrection of Jesus can shift how you think about this world. If you comprehend the power of the resurrection of Jesus, it'll shift your perspective. You will never be the same. Think of it like this. Ever since we started sending astronauts into space, they come back talking about having an entirely different view of the world because they have seen the planet against the infinite backdrop of space. This phenomenon is called the overview effect. There's a psychologist who spent a number of years studying the overview effect. He says that the lasting effects of space travel produce a shift in worldview. That's what I'm talking about. Those of us who have had an encounter with Jesus, those of us who have been raised with Christ, we have a kind of overview effect. Once we see the infinite worth of Christ against the backdrop of all else, everything changes. See, the gospel is transformative. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the work of Christ. That he gives us a new way of understanding the world here and now. The good news of the gospel, though, today demands a response demands a response from all who hear it, and in a sense, it is a binary kind of response. You can hear the gospel of Jesus, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would be saved. You can hear that and you can reject it, turn away, keep living your life normal, focused on the things below. Or you can hear the gospel of Jesus and you can believe and you can be transformed by it and you can learn to set your desires and your affections on things that are above. The people who first heard this news of the gospel being proclaimed, they knew that it demanded a response and their question was, what then should we do? Here's what they were told. First, they were told, repent of your sin. Turn away from your self-definition project. Turn away from trying to prove your worth in your own strength, from trying to save yourself. And turn to God in faith and receive the offer of forgiveness through the finished work of Jesus. First, they were told to repent of their sin. Second, they were told to be baptized. Baptism is a picture of what it means to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The public act of baptism is a public declaration of the story of Jesus. It tells the world what story you're living out of. The public act of baptism is a public proclamation of the gospel. Let me show you what it says in Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Christ City, let me introduce to you several people who have responded to the gospel of Jesus, who have set their minds on things above and have chosen to follow Jesus.